November 24, 2020. It's a watch from Pedro's show.
Rob from Pedro Show. Happy Tuesday. Started off with uh, Alucha, the alternate take for John Coltrane, Miles Davis, the Joy Division song, which is the clam chowder, the California clam chowder version in the studio with Thelonious Monster. And uh, Brother Magical Love Grotto, a couple miles south at Punch Point, because we're quite in quarantino mode, but I am not totally man alone because those genius software engineers of Estonia with their Skype invention. I got with me, with me, Pete Weiss. Oh. Okay, from the Thelonious Monster. Uh, are you in Hollywood? I'm actually, uh, you know, technically it's called, we, we refer to it Hollywood. I'm in like the border of Los Feliz and Silver Lake, but it's actually East Hollywood. Yeah, but, it's part of Hollywood. You know, Anything between, like, say, you know, La Cienega and Alvarado is, you know, in the broadest sense of the word Hollywood, if you know what I mean. Yeah, the neighborhood, uh, Thai Town. Thai Town. Yeah, I'm about, like, you know, about a mile east of Thai Town. And then they'll uh, say, or they'll say Little Armenia, which is kind of a, a lot like Glendale, though, in the valley. It's more Glendale, but, yeah, it's like, you know, we're all living here in the same swamp. It's cool. <laughs> I'm, 30, I'm down with like all I tell neighbors. the listeners, 30 miles north of Pedro, but we, yes. we share the same mayor. We share the same mayor. I, I did not know that, but yes, Pedro's part of L.A., sure. You bet this harbor is the biggest one in the country, makes him a lot of money. And, Civic uh, pride, Although Civic Mr. Pride. Garcetti is actually from the Val, but he's good buddies with our councilman, Mr. Buschiano. So The crazy look, thing he, about, before, I'll just digress for one second, uh, 2001, I think we had like a little reunion. 2002, and the, uh, one of the first gigs we played was at the Silver Lake Lounge. This cat we knew, who might come into the story later, said, "Hey, this guy I know is running for office. Do you want to play? Uh, will you guys play his fundraiser? It's like a Saturday afternoon, and it was Garcetti's first campaign event. Right? Cut to you know, uh, 14 years later, Neil Young has just played in the backyard of the." Uh, Paramore Estate up in Los Feliz as a for a benefit for the Silver Lake Conservatory of Music, which I'm one of the founders of. And Garcetti gets up there. He wings this dope like speech about how his kids, we adopted kids, and they went to the school. And just just extemporaneous, like you know, because he's a politician. So dude comes off the stage. I'm sitting right up front because I'm not going to be sitting anywhere else if Neil Young is doing a solo show, right? And I go, uh, "Good job, boss." And, and so Holmes walks straight back over to me and he goes like, starts yapping, just carrying on conversation with me. I think I alluded to, hey, if the pigs come because of noise violation, I'm going to send you out there. Blah, blah, blah. He says, oh, they'd shut us down sooner. Anyways, Bob walks up and he goes, hey, I know you guys. You guys are Thelonious Monster. You played my show, blah, blah, blah. If you, are you guys still gigging? I'll play with you. It just shows you the mind of a politician. Here it is 14 years later. He still knows, like, he met us briefly, if at all, and he still can remember exactly who we were. That's how you get to be mayor of a city. Make everybody you meet feel important. All right, sorry for the digression. His father was city attorney. I remember that, Gilgo City. You know, we're the same age, so for the most part. So I think we have a, a kind of a shared uh, reference, both coming from, you know, growing up here, me from the North Valley, you from Pedro, which, but I ain't, I came here when I was nine. I'm going to be 63 next month. Oh, you got a couple of years on me, old man. I'm only 61. Not old, less younger. There you go. 
Wiser. Wiser. I'm sorry. I came here in 67 and shit. I didn't even know about shit north of Wilmington. We could say we must, you know. So it was the movement where I learned about that I'm actually part of this city that goes from the Val to, yeah. Well, I got to tell you, it's, it's a parallel universe because I'm in the North Valley. My dad's World War II guy. All the guys like bought their first homes in Reseda and then a couple of years on the GI Bill. Then they all moved out to the brand new suburbs in North Valley, which hadn't really started yet. Like what my, you know, the subdivision I was in was like one of the first ones in the North Valley. So I grew up and there was like fields and old ranches and orange groves, which were, you know, of course, completely gone by the time I was a teenager. But it could have been Kansas for as much culture and information, you know, because there was no outlets really for us to get hip to stuff going on except for, you know, KRLA or KHJ. And then later on, KMET came on at FM. And then I'm sure we could both agree on that. Oh, uh, that's, that's, that's a good start, boy, because I wanted you try to give me your earliest musical recollection, Pete. Well, I'll tell you my heaviest. Er, I got two, and they're both around the Beatles. The, the first heaviest recollection I have of music where it really profoundly affected me was when the Beatles album Revolver came out. I don't know what year that is, but I got to say I'm five or six years old, right? And we were at a, a family acquaintance house. I'm Jewish, so it was like a... a a high holiday or some trippy thing like that. And the confluence of revolver on the stereo and the bad seed on the TV really left an impression on me. You're talking about that horror movie. Yeah. Well, you know, the one with the little girl, a bucket of kisses for a bushel of hugs. Uh, she kills like the little blonde girl. No one could, Imagine that she could be the killer, but she kills her classmate. She lights the caretaker on fire. Um, yeah, the bad seed. So I just, you know, that's probably... so musical, but Beatles definitely. Uh, yeah. Now, in the pad you grew up in, in there in the Val, was there any musical instruments? You know, my sister played the flute. My brother had a snare drum. I tried to, my first attempt at playing music was the tuba in seventh grade orchestra, which I discovered something that was kind of mind boggling to me is that we were playing when the saints go marching home. Right. And I'm thinking, Oh, when the saints go, ba, ba, ba. and what I found out is that the tube is going, oomp, da, oomp, da, oomp, da, oomp. it's a counter. And I, that's like, it blew my mind. Now that's not to say I continued on being a tuba player that lasted half a semester. And then I think again, when I was like 14, I tried to learn the bass, but I found out very quickly I have absolutely um, no facility for playing musical instruments. Zero. I mean, I I, I shouldn't say zero because, like, over the years, I learned strong a uh, couple of chords on the guitar. But as far as uh, playing drums, uh, absolutely was – I didn't start playing the drums until I was 23. Oh, wow. That's interesting. And the only reason I played the drums was because my good pal, John Huck, we were uh, film guys. Like we were running around in the film uh, slash punk rock world, which I'm sure punk rock is a different meaning to me and you than it does to the average listener who would think <laughs> punk rock is like a mohawk and a thing and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's not what we were about. You know, we were about the new energy and creativity sure. and uh, 
you know, rebelling against any authority that there possibly is, not being constrained by fashion stuff, all that stuff, you know. Because where I came from, guys had uh, shag haircuts and drove minivans with wire rim glasses. That was the, you know, that was the, the prevailing culture. <laughs> so, twenty six when you jumped on a drum set. Twenty three. Twenty three. I'm sorry. Fuck, my memory is yeah, terrible. That's, that's all right. You just said yeah. that. Now, t- tell me about that incident. What got you to jump on that drum at twenty three? So my uh, my buddy that I met at LACC in nineteen seventy eight, John Huck. And we became, uh, you know, you know how when you meet those people out in the world and all of a sudden they became, you know, you're glued to them at the hip, right? That's just, we had, uh, whatever it was, we aligned. He was from Mar Vista or whatever, but, you know, it's like 78, uh, 77, 78 here in the city. And we just started hanging out and we make films together. Uh, we made uh, a film called Get Up and Die in 1979 uh, with the Mentors. We made the, fir- the Mentors' first recording that they ever made was soundtrack for this film that we made. And it's a pretty cool film. It's got a, back in the day, it has tomatoes in it. Uh, Don Bowles is in it. Of course, the mentors. Anyways, it's, uh, it's, 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 we were trying to make like a transgressive cinema and uh, we were very successful. So my boy, John Huck was, had a drum set and at you know he, at one point he just goes here have my drum set, so I got this drum set at twenty three. I was a, already kind do, of it was a donate. Oh, Jeff, I didn't choose it at all. I had, no. So uh, what I did then, I'm like I had this like uh, what they call a garden apartment. That's when it's like half of it's subterranean and half of you know, so your window sill is basically at sidewalk level. Yeah. So I had this. So it's basically almost a concrete bunker down there. So I had this spot at Stanley and Hollywood Boulevard, and I would get down there and I would just play along to Charlie Watson XL Main Street. That's I did that for two months, and then I was like, "Hey, I'm gonna start a band. It's gonna be called Thelonious Monster." I mean, that was I was on stage within six months of getting a drum set. Wow. Here I want to play Lena Horne. Still sting, sing stormy weather. Get better. Well, things, well, that could get better. 
show yeah that's the yeah. monster with lena yeah, horn still sing stormy weather then we had thomas squat scott court <laughs> sorry thomas scott quintet out of liverpool with she smokes oblivious then blog guys from bombas prendon bomus c clamp ape from 38 tigers mike check from Deep in the Woods, 66, Tommy O'Sullivan out of Dublin, Ireland, featuring Vinnie McCann. Do you want New Wave or do you want the truth? From Dope. Truth. <laughs> truth. The title of the song, Pete. Actually, oh. it was a Minutemen song that Dose covered. I do that. Yeah, I do that. that. You knew that. Echo yeah. Yoshibashi after that with a refrain. White Noise, My Game of Love, and this from the 60s, Darbra. Uh, Delia Derbyshire, incredible electronics music pioneer. Doctor Who. Yeah, you know. Oh, dude, I know all about Derbyshire. She was a tripper. She cut up tape and, yeah. Not, she just, yeah. she was just on it like day one. She's like, you know, yeah. you go draw the line from Delia Derbyshire to like Kraftwerk to like everything you hear on the radio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you're... Possess such wisdom, man, Pete. Thanks, bro. And knowledge. Uh, my game of loving from from White Noise. That project she was part of. She was also something. Saint George Roos. And I've been playing some of that too, but she stopped making music because she didn't like synthesizers. There you go. Anyway, and, uh, midwife after that with name, and finally teenage wasteland, felonious monster. So. Two months of playing drums, and you do your first gig? I do my first gig after about six months. Well, the thing six is, months, like, the, actually, the reason that the band, I actually got a band together was that uh, I'd met Flea on the set of Suburbia. I was the boom guy. I was working, me and John Huck was the sound mixer, and I'm the boom guy, John Huck again. You know, he's responsible for everything. That's how I became a boom guy, because John Huck was the sound mixer. And so... I just like me and Flea became like immediate fast friends, like again, like you do with people. And I went and saw, I guess, what was the very first Chili Pepper show? It was the first one that they actually kind of did at the, uh, it was at the Rat Beat Funk Off at the Cafe de Grand, put on by Wayzada de Cameron and Gary Leonard present. And I was there and I realized immediately, because I've never been swift with the chicks, you know? I mean, I'm all right, but I just got too much brain going on to, like, actually just, like, be one of these guys that, like, 
oh, dude. Anyways, I'm not good at that stuff. But So I was at this Chili Pepper gig. And the very first gig, I realized, like, these guys are going to be huge. I'd never seen anything like that since the weirdos, the, the amount of energy on stage. And if I don't, like, I'll be backstage hanging with them, hitting on their chicks like a scumball, which I can't really do. But maybe if I start my own act, I could generate my own action. It worked. Now, this gig, was this the fashion show? No, this was a... Um, okay, because they did a fashion show, too. And then they played with the Minutemen at Club Lingerie. So we I was were, probably there back in those days. Yeah, because we were at one of their first gigs. But I remember them, Anthony and Fleet, telling me about some fashion show that they did. Because I mean, actually, it was... It was a side project. The real band was What Is This? Right, exactly. Yeah, they had done some, uh, like, one-off shit at the uh, Rhythm Lounge, where it was like Tony Flo with the Majestic Pimps, or whatever the hell they were calling themselves. So th the reason I know this was the first show is that I had this flyer from it that was just for some reason I had in my crib. And at some point, Flea had written bad poetry in the back of it, and about... I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, I came across this thing, and I go, oh, my God, I got to give this flyer to the flea, because, it, you know, it's from his, you know, I don't care about ephemera. I'm not that kind of guy. I'm not a collector. And then he told me, oh, that was their very first show. And I was wow. like, oh. And then, of course, he lost it. Or whatever. Right. It was kind of a, a fun thing to do with their roadie friend, Anthony. Because I think the first time I saw the Minutemen, you guys were opening up for X at the Roxy on a Thanksgiving. You, you're that right. makes that's, sense. That's the first time we got to play the Roxy. Yeah, dude, I was there. It was cool. And we had raced home to Pedro because we got a gig. It was very hard to play here. Croatia Hall and maybe two, three songs. They blew us off. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, let's get back to your story. Sure. So what was that drum set? What kind? Do you remember who made it? Premier. Premier. So. Uh, so I'm not a guy. That. No, but Premier is what uh, Keith Moon is saying on Sellout. Premier drum, Premier right. drum. English, English drum set. Little, It was like a little kit. I've never, like, I'm not like a guitar player where I could tell you about, like, my favorite humbucker or how I like my setup. I was, I've always been like, whatever drum set's there, I'm going to play that drum set because that drum set's going to make a sound and I will attune to that sound and then I'll know how to, you know, to beat on it to get to achieve the sound that I hear. Look, Pete, I used... Pete, you're a real pro. You know, if you go back in vaudeville, you know what the the main philosophy was: work the room. Well, that's the deal. That's why we. That's why we never. Thelonious Monster never had a set list, ever. <laughs> well, set list might be part of working the room. Everybody's got, but to being flexible enough to work on any gear, I think that's a righteous philosophy and asset. I'm just not Do you good remember, the can difference. you tell me, I mean, you're telling me about the first Chili Pepper gig, but tell me about the first Thelonious Monster gig. If, if, uh, first Thelonious Monster gig was at a uh, loft in downtown Los Angeles, and I don't know if it was on a Halloween or not, and it was just, you know, our orig originally we were as much an art project as we were a rock band. It was just like this crew of characters. Like we didn't set out to sound like anything. We didn't have a template that like, oh my God, we're going to be a power pop band or we're going to sound like the Stones or we're going to be a punk rock band. It was just like these really vivid characters all in one little group in a at the beginning of, in a democratic situation. And we just go for it. So it was more, 
you know, that our, used to be our uh, tagline was, it's a party, it's a monster. Like, we weren't precious about our performance whatsoever. Like, if you got, if you were there and you had the temerity to jump up on stage and bug out or blow your a horn you brought with you or do whatever, God bless you, dude, go for it. Like, we're not, it's not a set thing that we're like, oh, my God, you're going to, like, mess up our deal. It was just like, blah, you know. That was our that was the that was the feel. So that was our uh, the first, uh, I guess, official gig. And then the next gig that we played was at the. Uh, no, but you didn't tell me about the gig. <laughs> I can't remember it. I just remember. Oh, a OK. Flashes okay. Of that's color, a good. That's a, that's a good reason. That's a good. <laughs> I couldn't play to save my life in those days. I just banged as hard as I could. OK. I, wow. How, how long can I ask you this? How long did you guys practice for that first gig? Oh, we probably practiced for, uh, you know, a few months because none of us, you know, none of us really knew how to play our instruments. It wasn't until we started adding like a, a surprise to us, like really quality musicians. Like I think uh, the first gig, I think uh, KK was in the band, KK Barrett, because uh, he was playing guitar with us. We had four, well, Dix wasn't there yet. Dix was in Europe, but you know, we at the beginning we had four guitar players just because we just like, hey, you want to play? Sure. Hey, you want to be in the band? Sure. We didn't care. We four guitar players, whatever. Let's go for it. So you practice. So you knew this gig was coming up. You had months oh, to sure. get ready. Oh for sure. It. No, we were a, we were going to be a band. It's just indeterminate what kind of band we were going to be. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm, I'm just wondering. So uh, yeah, and KK. Uh, I gotta tell the listeners, he's drummer man for the Screamers, and yeah, Black Randy of the Metro Squad and Academy Award nominated uh, production designer. Well, he got into yeah making sets and stuff for Hollywood yeah. and stuff. But with the Screamers, uh, there's some news uh, up in the city in San Francisco. Uh, Superior Viaduct's going to put out that. Screamer, I saw that that demo. Yeah, Did you yeah. see it? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I guess you know. The only, I think the only uh, news would be is that they'll probably clean it up. They'll probably did like mastering and a whatever. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds there's, better. There's but... never been an official release, you know, because no, they thought records no. were over. Look, 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 Pete, it's the uh, end of the first hour, November 24, 2020 edition. Wap Peter Show. Special guest, Pete Weiss. Hold tight for hour two. My idea for her wedding gift was have to, a commissioned tomato to do my portrait. And so we, you know, I went over the tomato, do my portrait, because Bob and Anthony used to live over on uh, Hollywood and Las Palmas in the Palmer building, and tomato lived there too. So that's when I became, oh, that's when I became like more familiar with him back in 79 yeah. when we did the. Uh, People should realize that Tomato De Plenty was also an artist. Oh, yeah. yeah. He, was, he was, well, he was. That's yeah, what he I, was, I gotta, was an artist. A, that's right. He wasn't a singer. But he there was, was an a lot. That expressed you know himself. what? There was a lot of mixture between in the early days of the movement between all the discipline, undisciplined art expression. Right. There, there was no. I, I should start off the the second hour. Oh, People, okay. November twenty fourth, twenty twenty. It's the second hour of the Watt from Pedro show. And 
Don't 
not very nice and cool I'm not like an icicle The buzz of my ricicles They find me dead on a bicycle It's not very nice and cool I'm not like an icicle The buzz of my ricicles They find me dead on a bicycle I shout it out loud I'm wearing a shroud And I float on a cloud I'm not proud But I keep it nice and neat And I've kept the receipt My body's good to the street Incomplete Suicide to drugs. I hope to do to finish. There's no such thing as love. Some people have to buy the sound. 
saying that for cats like me and you the guys yeah. who started the original punk movement yeah. were probably three or four years older than us yeah or the the kids that were our age grew up in the city itself there was like i was like from kind of the hinters you were kind of like from the hinters a yeah, little bit yeah, yeah. so what we got with what we got first was kind of the ethos right, right. so so I think that's why like cats like us kind of held tighter to the ethos because we didn't get hit by the fashion first. Right, right. We got hit by like, you know, this is what it means for punk rock. It means, you know, work outside the boundaries, fuck authority, do whatever you will. There are no rules. Most importantly, be passionate, be honest, and be truthful. Period. Right. So you could have somebody who was a painter be a singer. There's right. no problem with that. Yeah, I think originally Tomato was Seattle, part of that Tupperware stuff. With yeah, the yeah, mentor yeah. guys. Yeah, cockettes and the whole thing, yeah. Yeah, the, the mentor, yeah, cockettes. Yeah, I should tell people, we, we heard uh, start the second hour with Fallen Behind from Thelonious Monster. Then don't let the door hit your, on the way, don't let the door hit your ass on the way out of the White House, Don Trump, from Sam Bennett in Tokyo. Waku Waku Kingdom with Medicine Man, Dead on a Bicycle, Mint Douche. And finally, hang tough, some live Thelonious monster. So, uh, the four guitar thing. How long did that last? Was that? Oh, it, you know, it it lasted till KK got a. You know, he had a wife and life, so KK kind Trudy. of just drifted off. Trudy. And then uh, we had th we were down to three guitars. We started our second album, and there was some problems with the. Uh, the guy Bill Stobow, we played a 12 string. He had a lot of, he was really a guitar player. Again, he was more of a sound collage with a 12 string attitude guitar guy. And, you know, what happened with us is that we're like this kind of like this free flowing joke or whatever. But because we had these personalities and these artists and, you know, whatever, we actually kind of had some cool ideas. But, you throw Bob Forrest into the mix and you've unleashed, you know, baby Trump as far as like a person who wants to, and don't get me wrong. Me and Bob Forrest are as tight as hell. He's my brother, but I'll talk shit about him all day because it's, he'll say it's the truth. 
you know, he tells me every day, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But he, I, you, you don't know. This is an interesting thing. Maybe you can relate. When you're coming up and you're just a junior doing this thing, you don't know who, who's got an agenda and who's just natural free flowing through the, the, the prospects of living their life. There's a lot of cats, unbeknownst to us, that kind of, they wanted fame and they wanted to be big and they wanted to amass celebrity and things like that. I didn't at all. I was, you know, I, I'm completely unfamiliar with those desires. I'm not saying they're good or bad or different, but so Bob started massaging us more into a, like, you know, a classic rock act, whatever. And like, I was more than happy to, uh, to, to go with it because it was just like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm like, you know, we're playing bands and, you know, we've never really been represented uh, well on recordings due to, you know, for most of our career, we were always seen as an uh, afterthought, like, oh, second record. Uh, first record we did was with uh, Brett Gurwitz. We were the first record he did as at West Beach Recorders and it was like the first real release for Epitaph. Second record uh, we did, we recorded it in the Chili Peppers rehearsal room at EMI Studios, right? Uh, third record, John Doe stepped in, but then they had to... Re Anyways, the point is we never actually had a producer or pre-production or did any of that bullshit. We just kind of get in there and wing it, you know? Most of the songs were written with uh, me and Dick Stenny just in a room and me identifying some riff that he'd done and like, play that over again and me trying to, you know, figure out something. You know, that's how it went. In fact... No, it makes to what we're talking about. It makes total sense, Pete. I want to play the divorce.
from Pedro show it's not la divorce it's la divorce people and pete's got a disclaimer that's the word that's the word i was i was doing an interview before this and i couldn't think of that word disclaimer thank you pete oh well yeah that's part of my vocabulary point being is that on this new record one thing that people gotta understand again talk about afterthoughts we hadn't played in 16 years right our original guitar player chris hansen uh, who always had like one foot in, one foot out, like he'd make a record that he wouldn't do the tour. He was always hedging bets, right? Uh, he got his degree while, you know, he'd stay home and go to college and we'd go out on the tour. So he moved off to France and blah, blah, blah. Finally, he moves back to the States. About a year and a half ago, he gets this, you know, I want to be a rock star again. I'm tired of being a suburban dad. I've been working on some songs. So you know, I've been burnt by Bob so many times about starting projects and we'd like write an entire album worth of music and Bob wouldn't show up or whatever. He you know, screwed us over. So I'm like, listen, I'm not making a phone call on this thing. I'll bring in a pair of drumsticks. You tell me where to go. There'd be a drum set there. Da, da. Lo and behold, Bob gets us. We, we go over to Klinghoffer's a rehearsal space and Chris shows up from out of town. Dick's finally relents. And we had eight four-hour writing sessions. Chris splits town. Three weeks later, there's a couple of days free at the studio. Josh is recording at Let's Go Track. Me, Martine, Lenoble, and Dix Denny and Bob went down there and tracked eight songs. And that's like that's that's what this new album is. And then later on, uh, I'm playing poker with my uh, friend Mike Semple, and he goes, Pete, what what's going on with that record? And I go, I don't know, none of my business. And he goes, like, I want to try and mix a song. So uh, 
I get, well, let's get the hard drive from Bob because he had a studio or whatever. And me and him went in there and started working on the song called Get a Gun. And then Josh came down and Bob came down and we liked what was happening so much that those guys are like, dudes, you finished the record. So a song like L.A. Divorce, it was a really bad disco jam. And I was, I'm not having bad disco, like, because it was just a thought in the studio. So what happens is that we go ahead and we replace the bass part. Hence, I got a really fussy kick drum in that song. That I'm got a weird to... noise there, Pete. What's that? Weird noise, like you're banging on some shit. Oh, oh shit, it must be my headphone. I'll stay still. Must be my headphone jack. Sorry about that. Anyways, uh, I just wanted to make a um, an excuse for the uh, busy kick drum pattern on that song. <laughs> okay. But that's okay. that's Xander and Mike uh, sample trading off guitar licks. Yeah, now, you, you mentioned Josh Klinghoffer. I had him on the show to talk about this new record. But to, talk about when he comes into the band. Because uh, I had him and Bob on both at the same time. And it seems like they hit it off good. Well, it's Klinghoffer's like the, it's you know it's it's this weird thing, like when you're coming up through life, things just like oh wow that happened this happened whatever. But when you get some years back, and you look at what happened in retrospect, and you actually like have some perspective on what went down. So, the, you know the famous story is that you know um, we met John Frusciante through D.H. Poligro because he used to jam in Dickie Rude's little garage over on Sierra Bonita and Hollywood Boulevard where the two free stooges were born. Two free so, stooges. You know, I, I, I got was, to I, do some gigs with that. Look, we're at the end of the second. We're going to have to continue this. We will Pete. Okay. It's the second hour. March, not March, November 24, 2020 edition. What Pete show special guest, Pete Weiss. Hang tight for hour three. November 24, 2020. It's the third hour of the walk from, Pedro Show. Now you used to hear I saw my baby get to the door I fell on you in your street That's how you can bring it though
you that you needed I think she gets what she deserves
for Pedro show before I tell you what we started the third hour let me tell you what we finished the second hour off after LA divorce is home truth from Papier Teague out of France Bollywood apologetics from Black Wing Uma with Aragonico Sea Level Stomp and finally disappeared Thelonious Monster and then to start this third hour Union Street 
baby, you've been bumming my life out on Supreme Fashion Studio 5 version, of a studio version. And then, not 5, what the fuck's wrong with you, what? Thelonious Monster. Then uh, Best of Waste of Space from Waste of Space. Thank you, Craig. If I call this spiritual jazz, can I sell it to hippies? That's brand new from Bronze Age UFO out of Baltimore. Pussycat the Dirty Johnsons from England. Beast way out. And finally, the far away from Thelonious Monster. And we're going to continue Pete Weiss's story of the Josh Klinghoffer addition to the Thelonious Monster band. All right, so we're at... uh... Dickie Roods and uh, Frashante's playing. So I started uh, Two Free Stooges with Dickie and Manny. And came up with the name, and I actually played drums with them for the first, I don't know, four or five months until I got busy doing my rock thing and they, whatever. So anyways, Frashante shows up at rehearsal, two songs in. I realize this is the, one of the greatest musicians I've ever seen in my life. You just got to think of, put this, like, look back at this. Here I am. Whenever I sit down behind a drum set, unlike a lot of people, I am paying to my max peak poten- potential. I am I am so untalented behind the kit that I am just having to go for it just to maintain any kind of credibility whatsoever, right? And all of a sudden, I'm playing with Dick's Danny. And so Frashante joins the band for... Uh, you know, I got a call that night from Flea. Uh, dude, we were thinking about John for the Chili Peppers. I'm going like, God bless, blah, blah, blah. You know, and so anyways, John was from Granada Hills, California. And Bob met him through uh, his girlfriend's brother. And then Josh, Bob met from his uh, same thing. And he grew up in, you know, 15, 12 years later, he's the exact, he's, he's living almost in the exact same neighborhood doing the exact same thing. And uh, so when you look back at like, what are the coincidences that all these people kind of like, you know, you get in these little formations, like, man, like you and D Boone just happened and George just happened to be like. In, in this crucible and you guys gravitated and the next thing you know you look back at it and it seems so you know of course that happened but when you really look back it's like that's just you know a miracle that those you kindred souls collected in the same area right and sparked on each other enough to like hey we're gonna join ourselves in life on this on this journey together pete you hit the nail right on the head that's exactly like it's hard if you went backwards how in the fuck? Right. But then in a way, maybe that's the only way it could have been. Right. It's just like, right, you know, right. out of that chaos, like all the little the nuclei or whatever that are attracted, the protons all like form into a little cluster. Sure. And the next thing you know, you've got this cluster, you know, and we were just fortunate, you know, you and me both of uh, coming up in a town that, you know, my philosophy on why all this shit went down in LA and why there's such a legacy happening here. It's like, you know, people understand that are like younger than us that back in the day, like the eighties, dude, I did not have a job. I didn't have any money. I didn't have to. I bought a beater car. You know, you could crib for no money. You could still get a dollar burrito. There was no cell phones. There was no like cable. There was nothing that you had to pay for. You could drive across town. There'd be no traffic. There was, you know, there was just nothing in Los Angeles. It was wide open, right? And that's why all these artists got to, like, really become fruitful here because they didn't have the onus of having to, like, 
buy into the system and get over. You could just kind of like step out on the side and go like, fuck it. I'm just not dealing with all that square world shit at all. I don't have to. There's not this like, you know, a monetary gun placed at the back of my head that I need to like, you know, if you're not a materialist person. Yeah, it was, yeah. And that's how all this this ferment happened. Yeah, you're talking you're talking parallel universe. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I yeah. want to play speak what you just said. Buy another gun. So this is how it's done. Buy another gun. Can't draw back back to where the school.
pleasure. We fuck around, blood ass up for the pleasure. Better no
It's your freedom of choice, Bob. Well, then, Jesus, why, when I choose what you perceive as bad and wrong, do you not love me anymore, Jesus, if you are loved? Well, Bob, that's simple, because white men created me and wrote me in a book and made me into a religion that makes everyone believe that there is such a thing as right now and you can judge your neighbor and you can do eye for an eye and you can go build bombs and you can go kill people in the name of God So I say fuck you Jesus I realize now what everybody's talking about I say fuck you Jesus I say I know what everybody's talking about
Live for Pedro Show, last music for this edition. Thelonious Monster with Buy Another Gun. Model Home from D.C., Every Sense I Got. Thor Harris and Joyful Noise Players, brand new. Kindest regards, Mr. Mapfumo. And finally, something live from Thelonious Monster. See that my grave is kept clean. That's a corker. That's a corker. I got I got a question for you, Mr. Watt. Bring it. Being from Pedro, whatever, and, and, and you working in, in, in the part of the scene that you were in, what was your take on Thelonious? You must have been somewhat aware that we existed, yeah, correct? Yeah, of course, of course. But what was, because the weird thing is I've seen in a couple reviews recently and this, that, and the other thing, we were so closely associated with the Red Hot Chili Peppers that I don't think anyone ever really knew that we were 180 degrees different prospect completely than what they were doing, right? We were just, effectively, we're a punk rock band, 100%, right? Absolutely, yeah. not stylistically, even though we can work the, you know, we can, you know, our boat, we can drop that our boat in that sea and, like, you know, make it to the shore. But on the other hand, like, I'm just curious, like, what was your take on what, what we were doing? You guys, we always thought punk was not a word for style. A style of music, it was more of a state of mind, and the style of the band was up to each band. Correct. That's And we thought Thelonious Monster had a Thelonious sound. I could tell you guys from just a couple chords. It's the first time, I think, that we've ever had an actual producer, and that producer was me, and I did it with my buddy Mike Semple, because what happened is that when you go... Like, we didn't have time to sit with these songs, right? The, what you hear on this record is probably the first time these songs were ever played from start to finish, right? That's yeah. the first, like, uh, in fact, there was a song called uh, 16 Angels where I just said to Martine, like, what do we do at the end? And he goes, I guess we just go for it. I'm like, all right, <laughs> we'll just go for it. So we had so little time that uh, this is the first time that we kind of manufactured the record, like, in the studio for the most, you know, in the uh, post-production, uh, because when you sit down to, when we're sitting down to play everybody at that point, we haven't sat with the songs long enough. So everyone kind of had a different conception of what was the song was really gonna, supposed to sound like. And so I, I played drums to what I heard in my head. And now what you hear on that record is the saw, the, the record that I was playing drums to as much as anything else. And if whatever limitations I have as a drummer, that's kind of like the, the, the record. You know, I, Pete, I, can Pete, I, think pretty... you, I think you did great, man. I like this record a lot. Oh, cool. It sounds like me. You know, that's that's the deal. In fact, they were and you, know what, you know what Popeye said? I am what I am. Exactly. Well, like I say, that's like, you know. But one thing I have fortunate, although I'm not like I've I don't practice, I, I hadn't played drums effectively for 10 years, maybe then sitting down once or twice by myself. I've played with other musicians for, you know, ages. And um, that's what I that's what I heard in my head. But I I have the uh, can, I, can I ask you this? Is there another Thelonious Monster record planned? No. Uh, is there one written? Yes. From 10 years ago. Look at I, I I saw this one kid reviewed us like you know I I get off on reviews because I want to see if they understood like that's what I was going for that kind of I don't care because I don't care what people think about me I'm old enough to where like your opinion of me does not you know does not move my needle in one direction or the other right I am what I am like you say 
But um, the guy, a couple of reviews have said, like, uh, this was a much hyped and anticipated record. And I'm going like, by who? I don't have the greatest facility for it. And I just feel fortunate that someone with such limited abilities got to, you know, the, uh, the musicians I've played with in my life are just staggering the, the, the <laughs> like cats, cats like yourself or whatever. Like you guys are real musicians. And the fact that Rob Graves, Rob Ritter yeah, was chose to be in a band with me and be a rhythm section with me. That's not lost on me, man. Uh, I feel honored, my friend. You, you'll get back on them drums, I know. People, it's been the November 24, 2020 edition of the Wild from Pedro Show. Keep your powder dry. <laughs>